in many insurance companies, there are amazing actuaries that can really analyze risks in a very meaningful manner. They have decades of, of data that they can rely on. The problem is that they are missing really important data in their model. Very excited today to have someone I've known for a few years now and spent a bit of time here in Hartford where I am, and that's Tomer Kashi. He is the co-founder and CEO at Voom. Welcome, Tomer. Hey, Josh. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Tomer, I know Voom maybe has gone through some evolution since we first met, and, and so maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you decided to co-found the business, your background, and then and then where Voom fits into the insurance and insure tech landscape today. Me personally, I didn't come from the insurance world at all. I'm a computer scientist and physicist by background, really a tech geek that somehow became an insure tech company. Before founding Voom, I was basically a tech lead for the for the Israeli government, for you know, for a technological unit in the Israeli government, which on the face of it would sound like very, very distant from insurance. And you would be surprised how many similarities there are between these two things. Because in essence, I was leading tech project in which you were required to be in charge of interdisciplinary team and you needed to research, to explore, to be curious about what you do, to be a problem solver. And that's actually what I found really nice and really interesting about insurance. It's a huge industry, right, for innovation. Everybody knows it. But I think that what's especially interesting in insurance is that technology is critical, but it's not the only part that is important. Boom in essence is an insurtech MGA providing usage-based insurance products for the future of mobility. Specifically speaking, we target mobility segments that are underserved by incumbents. Usually niche segments are underserved by, by, by incumbents. And by utilizing new sources of data that other insurers are usually blind to, provide a better and fair insurance experience for, for our customers. Do you ever get concerned that in using you know new types of data, using machine learning, that maybe there's something you're missing or maybe there's something they know from their years of experience that, that possibly your models don't capture in some way? And, and how do you work through that? In theory, you know, these companies have decades of data that they already use and they have the models. And are we at Voom starting something for, from scratch? How good can it be, right? Isaac Newton once said that, you know, the only reason that I saw further than others is because I was standing on the shoulders of giants. What I think that some people in the insurance industry know, but not all of them, is that in, in personal lines especially, most of the rates of insurance companies are filed. All of the models that, you know, uh, companies are, are using, most of them are, you know, basically public. And you can understand, you know, how companies are pricing and to, to learn from that and to build on that. Was the decision to get into motorcycle strictly an open area with less competition and you thought you could create a new product or was it driven by the fact that the data you had gathered through drone insurance and the other things that you had learned you thought was particularly applicable to motorcycle or was it a little bit of both? How do you think about the product roadmap going going forward, you know, beyond motorcycle, etc.? Really in a, in a bird's eye view. I think that we're now in a wave that we call InsureTech 2.0. I think that InsureTech 1.0 is meaningfully enhancing the the customer experience, okay? the way that insurance companies are interacting with the customers. And I think that there are some 
amazing examples for companies that did it really well, such as uh, Hippo and Next and Lemonade and, and many others. The second wave is what I call the 2.0, meaning taking new sources of data and really changing the, the risk model itself, the segmentation, how much people are, are paying for insurance and not neglecting the user experience, which is also very important, taking it one step further. And I think that within the mobility ecosystem, there are multiple sources of data that are underutilized. And this is where the opportunity for an insurance product lies. I think that our expertise lies where the risk is relatively high and the usage is episodic. This is where you can really apply usage-based insurance and provide meaningful rate reductions for a segment of the customers. So do you have your own point of view on the on the future of mobility and personal mobility that kind of plays into that as well? We see three major shifts in, in mobility in, in general. One of them is the fact that you have new mobility platforms such as e-scooters and drones. The second one is that you have increased connectivity. Cars, motorcycles, and so on and so forth are connected either from your phone or just you know connected by the OEM. It allows for better uh, risk assessment and also what's called embedded insurance. And the third one is new types of utilization. We're seeing less and less car ownership and more car share, ride share, subscriptions, deliveries. So the entire mobility ecosystem is changing, giving opportunities for new insurance products for new vehicle types or just much better insurance products for existing vehicles. And the problem is that the insurance industry is not moving at the pace because as we said, the insurance innovation is hard, but product innovation is the toughest of problems. Is there any element of the slowness to adapt or innovate new products because of, of concerns that somehow customers could exploit a model based on episodic usage in some way? And do you have any concerns about that? Yeah, so for example, you know, we, we offer on-demand by the hour insurance for drones, right? Basically, theoretically speaking, there is a moral hazard in having such a product. And we, we were concerned about that to begin with. And I must say that the, the, the customer nature is not as bad as people would think. Most insurance customers are fair. They just want to have comprehensive coverage in a fair price. Someone coming from your background, how did you put together the resources you needed to understand the value chain and understand maybe who you needed on your team to, to complement what you brought to the table with your technical background? Quite early on, once we decided that we you know, want to go into the insurance space and create a new insurance product, we were very, very fortunate to have a few angel investors from the insurance space. Surprisingly enough, after a few months in the industry, together with the advice that you're, you're getting, you, you start to understand what's going on. An insurance company or an insurance program is basically measured on only two things. One, how easy it is and how you know affordable your insurance is, how easy it is to purchase. And two, what happens when there is a claim. That's it, only two touch points. And if you nail those two, you get a good uh, net promoter score. People are referring others to you. It helps your brand. Being from Israel, any thoughts on, on sort of what your experience was like coming into the U.S. market and any advice for anyone else who may be thinking about something similar? It's very typical in Israel to found a company that from the get-go targets the U.S. market. The Israeli market is uh, almost non-existent and it's very, very typical for an Israeli company to create the R&D in Tel Aviv and the you know sales and marketing and compliance and you know general manners in the US when your target market is and there is almost you know a playbook 
for that. I think that the necessity to target the U.S. market is actually an advantage because we don't have the luxury of targeting our own market. So if we're in the U.K. or in France or in Spain or in Latin, we could target our own markets. But here we don't have a choice. You announced you know, a pretty big raise recently. And can, can you maybe share a little bit about how, how you mapped out your fundraising plan? The last round that you know we've raised is of around $15 million. If you look at our history, we, we raised half a million, then 1.5, then five, now 15, like 3x every time we close around. I, I must say that when we went for this round, we weren't sure if it's the right time for us to raise money. We actually had a lot of cash in the, in the bank and we were just about to launch two new products, the aviation product and the motorcycle product. And we're considering internally, you know, do we want to raise now or to, or to wait a little bit and, and see what happens. And we decided to just to have, you know, a few conversations with potential VCs about a much smaller round than uh, what we eventually had. I must say that the uh, feedback from the VC industry was was really, really good. I think that the, the fact that we go after these niche markets and we have proven metrics and we don't need to only like sell the vision of how eventually it's going to be possible really really helped we were lucky enough to actually have this round co-led by two vcs one of them gel ventures based in israel they are experts in i would say like early growth stage companies okay. as well as up partners based in la which are experts in mobility and have you know great connections in the mobility space it will help us in incubating the new products and with uh, business development. Similar to the way you curated a group of advisors earlier in the business, you, you sort of tried to do the same with your investors to see where they didn't just provide you money, but also could help in other areas of building the business. Can you give any examples? In early stages, what you need is like, you know, advice from the partners of the VCs, but at later stages, I think it comes to introductions to, to talent. The ability to connect us to, you know, real industry talent from the markets that we're working at, you know, drones and aviation and motorcycles and insurance world. This is something that our partners and job ventures are helping with. And also the, you know, the previous VCs that we have received uh, money from before and then also participated in this round. F2 Capital and Arbo Ventures and Verizon Ventures. Before we wrap up, any wild, no one's going to hold you to it, uh, predictions about the future of mobility or if you were to look, you know, five years out, 10 years out about what the mobility landscape might might look like, any any predictions around that that you might share? There are some things such as, you know, fully autonomous cars that are a bit futuristic. 10 years, it's a really long horizon. When we are now working on our products, we assume connectivity and we assume better safety because of ADA systems. But in the future, when the car will be fully autonomous, there is a shift between, you know, car insurance to product liability. Uh, Tomer, really appreciate having you on. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Obviously, it may sound like a cliche, but you're talking with me. But, uh, you know, the companies, the people that are, you know, working here, 25 strong people that, you know, that we that we have here, everybody is super dedicated. Uh, we have a saying in the company, it's never not my problem. As a, as a small startup, everyone is working on everything, thinking about how to, you know, see what other people are doing and how to help them. And, you know, culture is everything. Well, I think that's a great point to end on. Tomer Kashi, he is the co-founder and CEO of Voom. Thanks again. Uh -huh.